Father, I thank you that in the name of Jesus, every chain can be broken. God, that all of the pain that we feel because of sin in the world and all the suffering that exists because sin came and brought death, God, that every chain that Satan has us in, every bondage that Satan has lied to us to keep us in can be broken in the name of Jesus, God. And we, we just claim that name this morning and we say that Satan has no right and no reign here because we claim the name of Jesus. We claim the name of Jesus Christ to break every chain. And all God's people said, Amen. You can have a seat. Um, <clears throat> needless to say, the past couple weeks have been, uh, when I open up a can of eschatology on you, um, kind of should be ready for conversations after that, right? Um, but it's been really cool, uh, just the conversations that have happened uh, the last few weeks. I'm going to sit down. Is that okay? Does that, is that weird for anybody? weird for me, but I just like change, so I'm going to do it. Um, so this week, I want to go for a bit more clarity, because um, there's a ton of clarity on the topic of eschatology to be had. Um, not that it's clear, but there's a lot of clarity wanted, right? Um, so I, I just want to pray again, because I really, <clears throat> like that song says, I, I really believe this morning that in the name of Jesus every chain can be broken. In the name of Jesus didn't just come and die so that we could go to heaven someday. I mean, Jesus came and died so that we could live, right? Jesus came and died so that we could live in an abundant life here on earth. And not an abundant life defined by the world with stuff and money and, and things. It's not all wrong and it's not all bad. But the abundant life where we see Jesus break chains, the abundant life where on a daily basis we watch, we get to be the front lines of watching this army rising up against Satan and the demons and all the authorities and powers in heavenly places. Jesus, in his name, we have been given authority over those things. That's amazing. I mean, that is part of why Jesus died, Right? So I just want to pray again um, together. And so as I pray, you pray that God would just open up your heart and mind to the urgency of the gospel and to desire to see Jesus at work. Because I get so wrapped up in doing every day, right? And every day can kind of get in the way of the fact that, hold on a minute. Like Jesus wants to do amazing things. What does he say? immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. When's the last time you saw immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine, right? The only thing, the only time that that's going to happen is if we are actually asking and imagining, right? And when do we do that? It's when we pray. But when we're not praying, when we're not doing that, when we're not doing that on a regular basis, maybe it's because we're not that we've become okay with the status quo, and so we don't see immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. So let's pray right now from that 
truth. God, your word is truth. Your word is the only living and active book that ever existed. And so, Father, we pray that this morning as we dig into your word, God, that you would just bring this alive and break chains in our, in our hearts of fear. Fear of death, fear of the end, fear of any of that, because we know that everything that we do is about Jesus Christ. Every breath I take is because of Jesus. Every step I take is because of Jesus. Every person I talk to, I have an opportunity to affect for Jesus. And so, Father, this is real. So break the chains of bondage that Satan has on us in this, in this room, and they're all based on lies. Break those chains, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, turn um, to Mark chapter 13. This is eschatology part two, wake up, okay? Mark chapter 13, verse 24. I think it's gonna be on the screen um, also, but... In verse 23, this, is, this whole thing is Jesus talking, right? They're sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples looking across to this glorious splendor of the temple and the temple and all its, its beauty and the buildings. And Jesus goes on and he begins this, what is called the Olivet Discourse. This is the last time that Jesus addresses his disciples publicly before he goes um, to the cross and dies. Okay, so this is pretty heavy stuff. This is the last thing he wanted them to know before he went to die. And in verse 23, he ends that section by saying, Be on, but be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. So we got to start with understanding that it is absolutely gracious and loving for God to have given us a glimpse into his plans for the end for the end of all things, so that we won't be deceived, right? He does not want us to go about life being deceived about what is to come and being deceived about the urgency and the excitement in our lives that this, should, that this truth should give. So it's absolutely gracious that he's told us beforehand. Let's go on in verse 24 to the end of chapter 13. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth, to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn it's, it's kind of a weird. <laughs> this is huge and powerful. From the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, like Jesus didn't even know, but only the Father. 
be on guard, keep awake. And some, some um, uh, translations there say, be on guard, keep awake, and pray. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. I say it again, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Or for, uh, for some of us, it could be wake up. Wake up and start to get excited about the fact that Jesus is coming back. This was a beautiful thing. So I don't know if some of you saw on, on Facebook, Judah, um, we, we, we answered the question at dinner for eight last night, what is the thing that gives you the most joy in your life? And my answer was watching the different people in my family develop Develop physically, but develop in the Lord, right? And so Judah, man, he's just, he sits down and he's like, he writes out this, it's really a poem, but it's a song to him, so I, I, I want to put some music to it, um, but it's a song to him, and, and I caught him again yesterday. I'm like, where's Judah? I go up, I open his door, and he's just sitting at, sitting at his desk. He doesn't even look up at me, he's just sitting at his desk. I'm Judah, are you writing another song? And he just keeps writing. So this song, in the song it said, he said, thank you, Lord. Uh, I think the song was called the, the Great Lord. I think something like that. And so he says, thank you, Lord, that you sent your son Jesus to die for us and he's the savior of the world. And he said, thank you that you are coming back, right? And so <clears throat> somebody else I know was having a conversation with someone they know um, this week and the person read that and just said, wait a minute, Jesus is coming back? Like, this is amazing news to people, and this should be some of the most beautiful and amazing news to us who love Jesus. Because if it's all about Jesus and we are looking forward to seeing him someday, it doesn't just come when we die. Like, I did, my kids say all the time, Dad, I don't want to die. I hope Jesus comes back before I die. I'm like, yeah, me too. I, I, told, I just want to see Jesus, and I really don't want to die people, I think the last time somebody tried to predict when the end would come, I think it was May 17, 2012, Harold Camping just tried to, it was like his third try, and those dates have come and gone, right? God is a practical God, all right? Picture this. God wants his disciples everywhere, throughout time, to be ready every single second of every single day to go see Jesus. So if I think about what will I be doing when Jesus shows up, when he catches me up to meet him in the air, and I see Jesus face to face for the first time, what will I have been doing when he does that, when I go to see him? See, if God had, what if God had said in his word, what if he had said, May 17, 2012, the end is going to happen, period. We wouldn't, I mean, the temptation for a ton of people would be to, okay, well, I will do whatever I want, 
until May 17th of 2011. In the last year of my life, I'll get it all together, right? You see the temptation there? It's absolutely strategic but loving of God to hold that back from us. Like Jesus didn't even know because he gave up some of his godly attributes of knowledge when he came down to be a man also. But I think it's strategic that he didn't even know so that he could feel the emotion when telling his disciples, be ready, stay awake, because he could come at any time. God doesn't want to tell you specifics necessarily about all his plans, because if he did, it might shape negatively the way we live. He withheld this on purpose, and this should impact our everyday life. It should impact our every single moment, because I don't know if we're going to make it through this message. I mean, everybody kind of comes around, even, even in the world, we think about and we see when somebody young passes away from something that was uncontrollable, it's a tragedy, right? When somebody dies before we think they're supposed to die, we ask these questions, why, right? And then we use sentimental phrases like, make every moment count, you never know when you're going to die, right? I mean, the world does that sort of stuff. All the more, we should do that. That's what Jesus is saying to us. For every single person, you never know. It could be now. It could be today. What are we going to be doing? I understand when we talk about the end times and when we talk about the book of Revelation, it's confusing as all get out. And it uses words that I will never, ever, ever use on a daily basis where, of course, if I did, I might sound smarter than I actually am. But it's confusing. And there is some fear involved in thinking and talking about the end. But there is always fear involved in what we don't know and what we can't understand completely, right? And so some, some of what the Bible talks about I just don't understand. I don't always like it either. I don't always like the implications that it has on my life because it makes me live in a certain way that maybe I don't, it takes a little more discipline to live this way than others, right? Here's the thing. The most important thing that we need to know that is coming is that the final destination for all mankind is either heaven or hell. This should get that mixed with the fact that we don't know when Jesus is returning, that should give us extreme urgency and excitement at the same time, right? Now, here's how we deal with the fear of it all. Because I admit, even though I know, I think I know what the Bible says about this, there's fear involved with what I don't know. But if Jesus becomes central to everything, to why I live my life, right? I am made when you come to Jesus, you are made a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come, right? And so if everything that is new about me is about Jesus, then fear is dispelled because now I get to think about the fact that whatever happens in the end, I get to see Jesus. I get to see Jesus. I get to see Jesus. And I'm excited about that. I mean, I, this question was convicting to me. I heard somebody asked me one time, they said, hey, if, if Jesus wasn't in heaven, would you still want to go there? I was like, uh, yeah, I 
yeah, I think so, because it's still going to be pretty awesome. But here's the deal. When you get to heaven, it's going to be all about Jesus, right? And the first thing you see before you even see heaven or anything eternal, you see Jesus. And so if we're, if we're not getting excited about what Jesus is doing here and now in our lives, or if we're not getting excited about daily spending time with Jesus, then it's really going to be really hard to get excited about him coming back, right? It's got to be all about Jesus. And when it becomes all about Jesus, it does away with fear. So again, 50,000 foot. I want to bring it down a little, a little closer this week looking at these passages. But to paint a picture for you of why the end needs to happen in the way that it happens, not in the little details of the orders that it happens or all this stuff, but the fact that God has to deal with sin. God has to destroy sin. God has to do away with destruction. And he, he will make everything new, okay? In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what does it say? And he saw that it was good, right? And so quickly, in chapter 3 of Genesis, it goes from being good to being fallen because he, in his lovingness and in his kindness, gave mankind a free will to decide. What if this? What if I got married and I could make my wife love me? If she was a robot and I just, I could make her love me or I could reprogram her to love me in the way that I wanted her to love me, right? After a while, that's not too satisfying for me, right? Because I know it's just, she's just being made to love me, right? Imagine if we didn't have a free will. God would be a tyrant up in heaven without personal relationships with anyone. And that's not the type of God that I want to serve. It's not the type of God that the Bible describes, right? God is a personal God. Therefore, he gave us a free will. And when Adam and Eve chose to sin, sin, death, suffering, sickness, all of it entered into the world, right? And we live in a fallen state. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every baby even. This is hard for me to fathom. This is hard for me to, to even think about. But babies, before they've even had a chance to disobey, are born into sin. That's tough. I don't like that. I don't like it. But I trust it. And I trust that that person is going to grow up in need of a savior. Right? And so all these things exist in the world. And so sometimes when this stuff happens, we, we ask God questions. We blame God. We think, man, we, we almost start to think that God owes us more than what he's already given us. Right? But here's the deal. The absolute most loving thing that a personal God could have done for us was from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, God knew. He knew it before, but God knew I'm, my son is going to come to earth to pay for that sin. The fact that God gave us even a chance to respond to salvation in Jesus is apps. I mean, it defines love, doesn't it? Because everything that we've done, everything that we are, 
deserves destruction. Our sin has separated us from God. And he, that's love. He gave us a chance to respond to salvation in Jesus Christ. So like I said, in the Bible, there's stuff that Jesus says. There's stuff in the Bible that is described that I just don't like. I can't wrap my head around the fact that that's just. I can't wrap my head around the fact that some of the things that God does is fair, right? But here's the thing. I don't have to. All I have to do is choose to trust that what I don't understand about God is because my finite human mind will never understand an infinite God the way I want to. And so really at some point in your journey, every believer's got to get here. Like, I don't like everything in the Bible, but I trust it. I don't like everything that God says, or I don't like everything that I think God is going to do in the end, but I trust that it is perfectly loving, and it is perfectly good, and it's perfectly just, even if I don't get it. See, without God's wrath, he would not be God anymore because God is loving and he is equally just, right? God is, what does he say? I, be holy for I am holy. God is holy. One of the attributes of God is his holiness, right? Holiness, the, the very definition of holiness says that sin cannot be in his presence, right? He has to deal with sin. He has to deal with the destruction that sin has brought on the earth. And if he doesn't, then he's not God anymore. But get this, 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4 says, God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. See, God's desire is that for every person on the planet, that they come to salvation. Like he loves everyone so much that every single person on the planet comes to salvation. But here's the deal. He's not going to force it on anybody. He will pursue people, but in the end, they have to respond. Right? That gives me urgency. Right? That gives me urgency to pursue people like I know God pursued me. To pursue people with the love of Jesus. And yeah, there's a ton of different strategies we could talk about for that. But the, the one thing I want you to get this morning is to be urgent with the gospel and bring the gospel to the streets. This is, this is a, a very frustrating topic to try to preach in two weeks, right? Because I, I, like, I guess if, if I can confuse you enough to get you in the Bible, I've done my job, right? Like, I, that's not really what I want to do. I don't want to confuse you. But my desire is for everyone, I was talking about this with Norb last night, for everyone to get to the point where they love the truth of Scripture so much that on the days that you don't spend time in the Word, hearing from God and praying, communing with God, that you feel it, you feel it in your gut. Like something's wrong today. No, I haven't spent time with Jesus, you know? 
I mean, that, that's really what should happen every single week, even on the simple passages. We're, we're, we preach the Bible, but ultimately, maybe I, I should start making it a little more confusing so that you go home, but I have no idea what you just said, so I got to read, right? I, I don't plan on doing that, but you get the point. The Bible is living and active, and we've got to be in it. So, again, I want to remind you, Creekside University, um, April 19th and 26th. This is after the, this, this round of small groups right now, so you should be free on those Sunday nights. It's just two hours with an intermission somewhere. In, I don't know. I don't know if there's an intermission, but it's two hours to go deeper with this and to dig into the Bible. All right? Talk to Mark Klein about that more. Talk to us about that more. Talk to me about it, any of the elders, okay? But I'm going to be there, and I, I man, it's just going to be an awesome time. So we're going to have sign-ups for that soon. I also want you to pay attention to this in your bulletin. I don't know if you got it. If you didn't get it, there will be bulletins on that hub table with the, with the bulletin board out there. But grab a bulletin because there's a, um, a quick start, eschatology quick start study guide in there that gives you pretty much just a quick rundown of the breakout of the book of Revelation, and then it gives you book uh, passages to look at on the rapture, right? Okay, that's just a, it's just a place to start on this topic. So when we come to the second half here, we got to remember that the disciples are hearing this on three days after they had just cheered with all the crowds for Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? And they're screaming out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. But what Hosanna means is save now. So they had every thought and every intention to support and make Jesus king right then on earth so that he could reign as king in Jerusalem and save them from Roman oppression. And Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the, the temple that they saw so much glory in, and he said, listen, and this actually happened 40 years later in AD 70, he said, every single stone that you see will be torn down. And so now they're thrown into, like, real confusion, okay? So this is how Passion Week starts. Like, Passion Week is last week of Jesus' life. This is how it starts. They're all excited. Within days, they go from excited to, to this crash of, like, ultra confusion. And so when Jesus is betrayed by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane, <laughs> just read it. Um, you can't say it either, so don't judge. Um, all of his disciples scatter and they run away, right? Because in their minds now, it's like, oh, what we thought is not true. Like, ah, uh, they had to be thinking like, who is Jesus? And then all of a sudden, they all witness him go to the cross. Like, think of how crushed you would be to expect one thing and get the complete opposite, Right? And so he launches into talking about what is to come at the end, which probably just throws him into more confusion. But real quick, again, there are people who love Jesus, live for Jesus, 
with their entire life and believe that the Bible is without error, that interpret these passages in all of Revelation different than we do, right? You may be in the room and interpret them differently than we do, and that's okay. I mean, it's okay. We love to talk. I think one of the definitions of love is to be able to uh, love somebody that you disagree with, right? And for us at Creekside, there are some black and white things in the Bible that are non-negotiable, but this is not one of them. This is one of those things that it's not going to determine if you can be a member or it's not going to determine if you can come here and it doesn't determine your salvation. But to know that a few things are going to happen really helps shape and change the way we live our everyday life. So again, here's a, just a quick rundown of what the leadership at Creekside believes is the order of the end as described here and in Revelation. First, we think that the rapture is imminent. It's the next thing that's going to happen, right? And we're going to talk, I'll give you a little more details on that in, in a moment. But the rapture is when God's people, all saved people on the planet are going to be caught up. Jesus is not going to come all the way down to the planet at that point. Um, we believe that the, the return of Jesus happens in two very distinct single events. The rapture where we see Jesus for the first time and then when he actually comes all the way down to earth to reign as king in the, in the millennium. But So the rapture is imminent. It's the next thing that's going to happen. It's the thing that we are supposed to be excited for. It's the thing that we're supposed to look forward to. We're not supposed to be afraid of the tribulation happening because God is going to save us out of that hour of trial. And I'll share a few verses with you in a second why we believe that. But be excited about going to see Jesus, okay? Next, after the rapture, the earth will be launched into however long we believe, not really sure, after the rapture that the tribulation is going to start. But once the tribulation begins, it's going to be a seven-year period of destruction on the earth like has never, ever been before and never, ever will be, right? And then at the end of the tribulation, when all the nations of the earth come together in Jerusalem against the nation of Israel, God, Jesus Christ, will come back all the way down to earth and do away with all sin and destruction and set up his, at that time, earthly kingdom. So his disciples were right about one thing. He is going to set up an earthly kingdom. They were wrong about the timing of it, right? So he's going to come down and he's going to save parts of the nation of Israel. Those who believed in him during the tribulation will enter into his kingdom, along with all of us who went up to meet him in the air in the rapture, we will come back with him and populate his reign as king in Jerusalem for a thousand years. This period's called the millennium, and you can read about that in Revelation 20, or in, uh, yeah, in Revelation 20, and here's the thing. At the end of the tribulation, this is, this is awesome, this is powerful, Jesus will then bind Satan in a pit essentially in prison, because right now, the Bible describes to us that, G that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He can roam free. We know that with Job, that he goes up and he asks God, like, hey, I've just been roaming around on the earth looking for someone to devour, right? And so that's what he's doing right now. So we've got to be on guard, because Satan just wants to lie to us. He does not want us to look forward to seeing Jesus, but when the millennium begins, Jesus is going to put Satan in a, in a pit, in a prison for those thousand years, and he won't be able to touch a soul, right? At the end of the millennium, I'm not going to get too deep into this, but 
here's my confuse you a little bit so that you can read about it. But at the end of the millennium, and I, this is the part that I, I just don't get this part of God's plan, right? He's going to release Satan from that pit for one final deception. I don't get that. Like, why? Right? But I trust this is part of God's plan because Satan's released from this pit one last time for one final deception. But what happens? Jesus, in his power, defeats Satan once and for all, throwing him into the lake of fire forever. And in that moment, after that happens, the old heaven and the old earth, as we know them now, will pass away, and the new heaven earth will descend. Talks about this in Revelation. Will descend, on, like take the place of what we now know as earth. That's why I call it heaven earth, because I'm not really totally sure what it's going to look like, but it will be a new heaven and a new earth where Jesus will reign forever and ever and ever, and we will be with him for eternity in perfection. Like, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. And so verse 24 picks it up at the end of that period of tribulation, after that end of that period, unlike any other on the earth. And here's the deal. At the end Jesus will return in power and glory. And then here's my favorite part. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. There will be people that were saved. See, the church will be gone for the tribulation, but the Holy Spirit will still be active. There will be people that got saved, and we'll, you'll dig more into this. In Creekside you. Maybe, I'm not promising anything because I'll put words in Mark's mouth and he'll be like, ah, now I have to say that. But there will be people that get saved during the tribulation. And that's still, I mean, that still should just point us to the love of God. In the most destructive time on earth, people can still, by the Holy Spirit, come to Jesus for salvation, right? And they will, at that point, enter into, he'll gather all of those people from on the earth, and then gather us who went up in the rapture from the ends of heaven to enter into the perfect kingdom on earth called the millennium. And then we get into this verse 28. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also when these things are taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Like what does that mean? So I want to show you a picture. Can you put up that picture of the fig tree? Um, here's a picture of a fig tree, right? And so, just like Jesus in his, in his uh, parables would tell a story from something like the parable of the seed, you know? He's telling these people that were in an agricultural uh, culture, and so they knew what it meant to farm. And so he's telling this story about a farmer who throws seed in different types of soil, and different things happen with that seed depending on the soil, Right? And he's teaching a spiritual lesson that there's different types of people. People receive the word of God differently and different thing, and it sprouts differently in their lives, right? And so this is how he's using this. He's using it as an, as an analogy that everyone would know. Fig trees were abundant in that area. And here's the deal with a fig tree. A fig tree 
the fruit would come first. A lot, of, a lot of plants, the leaves come and then the fruit. But the fruit would come first and then the leaves would sprout in late spring. So all he's saying is when you see the leaves sprout, it's late spring and you know summer is next. It's like if, if I took probably any of you, I mean the majority of you, and put you out in uh, the wilderness and took away your phone and took away everything that you could tell time by and you spent a long enough time out there that you... Uh, kind of lost track of the date and when it was and everything. You could look at nature, really, and be able to tell what time of year it was, right? It's essentially what he's saying. So don't get over confused by that section right there in the middle. He's just saying when you see these things happen, just like when you see that on a fig tree, summer's right there, when you see these things happen, boom, Jesus is at the very gates. Like this is about to happen, right? And so what's he talking about? I, uh, <clears throat> I want to make as much sense of this as possible, okay? So what's this talking about? Um, we've got the beginning of birth pains that we talked about last week, wars, rumors of wars, all of natural disasters and all that stuff, some of which we believe we're seeing now, right? It's going to happen more and more and more and more and more, right? But what is this talking about? This passage, verse 28, the lesson from the fig tree comes right before a description of what is going to happen in the tribulation, okay? And then it says, this generation will not pass away, okay? Now, here's the deal. The generation he was talking to, at that moment, they're all dead, okay? That generation passed away. All right, there's different views here, but most of the commentators that our <clears throat> leadership trust think that this is talking about the generation that is alive to see these events in the tribulation happen will definitely see the end. Some of that generation might die, but that generation as a whole will be around to see the end because if you read through Scripture, you'll see that a biblical generation, a generation defined by the Bible is about 40 years, okay? The tribulation from beginning to end is only seven years, okay? So that's all this is talking about, is that the people alive to see the beginning of the tribulation, that generation will not pass away. You know, you can be certain that Jesus is coming back when those things start to happen, okay? And then 32 to 37 is our personal application. This is really where I want us to land in this, to stay awake, to pursue God. Because just like a man who goes off on a journey and leaves his servants in charge, it's just like Jesus said, it is better that I go up to heaven so that the Holy Spirit can come and fill you, not just be with you, but be in you, right? So Jesus has gone up to heaven, and he has left us with the single job of bringing the gospel the love of Jesus Christ for salvation to the streets, right? It can't stay in these four walls. If it does, that is the, that is the biggest tragedy of all, right? So this should launch us into excitement. It should launch us into urgency. And just to feed the fire a little bit, I want to talk briefly about the rapture. The, the word rapture, 
is not in the Bible. So if you've been looking for it, you're just not going to find it, okay? The word rapture is not in the Bible, but the, it comes from the Latin term rapio, which means caught up. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18 says this. And before I read this, the people that Paul is writing to at this time, they had this innate fear that the people that, this is what Paul was dealing with in, in this context. The people that were believers had this innate fear that the people who went before them, who died before them, who believed in Jesus, were going to somehow miss the second coming of Jesus, right? There's just this fear, like they're dead, like how are they going to see the second coming of Jesus? So Paul writes this section right here to put their minds at ease, and this is what he says. But we do not want you to be unaware, uh, uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that means dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him, will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command. He's going to call all his people to him. I love that. With the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. Rapio, rapture, that's where that comes from. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So this is the first part of the Lord's coming, that Jesus comes to the clouds and we meet him in the air. He doesn't come all the way down. And then it says, um, we'll meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Like these words... The fact that, that we are going to go from this place at any moment, get caught up, the rapture, get caught up to meet the Lord in the air. I don't know if our clothes will be left here or whatever. I don't know what's going to happen. But I knew there are a lot of people are going to meet the Lord in the air like that. And it's going to be awesome. And not only will the people who are dead in Christ, not, they won't, not only will they not miss it, they're going to beat us there, right? So here's the deal. What do we do with all this? It is absolutely gracious that God has told us these things beforehand. We have hope, and this should change the urgency of our lives and the excitement level of our everyday life. Fear is always involved with things that we do not understand. But 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out God told us these things for a reason. He put them in the Bible for a reason. He loves us and his plan is perfect. Revelation 22, 7 says, And behold, I am coming. This is Jesus talking. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then the angel goes on to tell John, he goes on to tell us that the words of the prophecy of this book prophecy and revelation, are so that those who hear it would be caused to worship God, right? When everything that we are becomes about Jesus, it dispels fear. And we focus on his perfect love for us. 
He has plans for us, not to harm us, but for good, right? It says that in Jeremiah. I want to end before we watch a quick video to lead us into communion. I want to end by reading an email. Um, this email comes from Emily, Emily LeMay. And uh, she sings up here sometime, beautiful voice. Um, but this is an email that she wrote to her small group like a day or two after part one of eschatology. And this is really, she asked me, you can share it if it, I asked her if I could share it. She said, you can share it if it, you think it'll help. I absolutely think this will help, so listen closely. Because this is really the journey that I want our minds to take when we think about the end, right? So this is an email that she wrote to her small group. It says this. Last night I read the book of Revelation. This is significant because I'm actually terrified of the book of Revelation. However, in keeping with the challenge of not avoiding those simple stirrings from the Holy Spirit, I was compelled to turn my Bible to the end. I assumed that I would just read a few chapters, get freaked out, and stop, which is essentially what's happened in the past whenever I've attempted to read it. See, I'm comfortable with the theory of dying because I believe in the power of salvation and that as a believer I will go to heaven. What I'm more than a little anxious about is the actual process of getting to heaven in the first place. I'm really scared of the process of death, and I'm especially concerned about the possibility of seeing a world that is more terrifying, more violent, and so much more tragic than the one we are living in today. So it's safe to say that reading Revelation has just never been on my priority list. I figured ignorance is bliss. You can imagine my surprise when two things happened as I read. One, I didn't stop halfway through. In fact, I was drawn in more and more as I read, and I didn't stop until I finished the book. And two, instead of being anxious, I felt very at peace as I read. Reflecting on that, I feel that the, that the peace I felt really s signals how my personal relationship with God is changing. This is a small sign to me that as I pray for God to help me to love, trust, and know Him more, that He's answering that prayer and shifting my heart and my thinking. Obviously, I'm not in, in a position to interpret any of Revelation, but I do want to share a few things that I'm meditating on today after reading. One, God is so much bigger and wiser than I can even comprehend. It gave me comfort as I read that we have a God who is willing to let us in on a bit of his plans. He doesn't want us to be completely unprepared, but only he really knows the plans he has. It makes me feel at peace knowing that I will never really have all the answers. In my life, I place such an emphasis on this. I have to have all the answers at work, at home with my son, and to be able to articulate the big picture. Isn't it amazing that when it comes to God's plans, we will never have all the answers. I feel a huge relief in that. It makes me think about what other areas in my life where I feel like I need to have control and to understand and anticipate and prepare for things I think will happen. I should just let go. God is the one who is in control. Personally, this requires prayer for me because it is much easier said than done. Number two, reading about the end did give me a sense of urgency. There's been a lot of preaching about urgency lately and a lot about looking for ways to not waste time. 
I'll be honest, I'm not there yet. But I'm still content to be lazy and watch too much reality TV. Don't judge because a lot of you are there. Too much reality TV, but this sense of urgency is welling up in me. And it's making me want to draw closer to God and to pray that he continues to manifest his spirit in my life. To push me to do things I think I cannot or things that I'm not comfortable with. And to be more aware of his plan for my life. Number three, finally... I'm struck by a strong sense that I cannot get through any of this alone. Life, the end, whatever it may be, I know that personally I need a community of people who believe what I believe, who speak the truth to me, will push me to go deeper and do more, and finally, who will reflect God's love for me. I feel very thankful to be, uh, t- for the invite to this to join this small group and for our community at Creekside. I look forward to continuing to grow with each other. I'm so hopeful about what I feel God is doing in our lives and in our church. As Kara said, having diverse perspectives challenges us and pushes us to think differently. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm so happy that none of us is exactly right. And we don't have to have all of the answers. I'm still anxious about death, but I will keep asking God to teach me to trust, to let go, and to stop worrying. I mean, that's amazing. There are things about the Bible and about God that we will just not understand, and we don't have to. But we get to get excited and urgent about the coming of Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. I want everyone, whether I love them or whether I hate them, if I want to be like Jesus Christ, I want these people in heaven for eternity, right? And in the midst of life, I want to live the abundant life defined by seeing Jesus change people's lives, by watching him break chains that only he can break, right? I mean, this is what we want. This is what the community of the church was built for. And so we're going to take a, ch- a time now to just remember Jesus, and we're going to watch um, a video. And, uh, and during this video, because we're running out of time, because I'm long-winded, and I apologize for that, so I'm going to shift things up a little bit, and that's okay. During this video... Um, we're going to have the bread and the juice up in the front and in the back, okay? And as you watch this video, it's all about remembering Jesus. I want you to take an opportunity to come up to the front or the back and take the bread and the juice to remember and to really use this time to start getting excited more than we are right now about the coming of Jesus. Remember what he did for you so that we can remember his plan to take us to be with him forever. Right? And then after that video is over, Bob Short's going to close us with a closing thought to get excited more about the coming of Jesus and to go from here and in our lives and our daily basis to remember Jesus. Okay? And so let's pray before we watch this video. God, I just pray that you would just meet us in whatever our confusion is, meet us in the place that we are in right now. Father, I pray that in my jumbled words that you would just bring it 
to make sense to people. I pray that people will pursue your word. I pray that people will pursue you. I pray that as we remember Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection for us so that we could be with him someday in heaven. I pray that as we do that, and just that you would just transform our excitement level and our urgency level to bring the gospel to the streets. We need you, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been talking about the future, and we just took communion, and as we did that, we, we remembered Jesus, and we remembered his sacrificial offering as the Lamb of God. And so we looked back, we've been looking forward, just kind of wanted to tie those things together a minute, and we'll turn to that book of Revelation. You don't need to turn with it with me, but I'll turn there and just read you something really toward the beginning of, of the future-telling portion of Revelation there in chapter 5. There's this chapter 4 and 5 setting up this throne room scene, and there's all these different characters talked about. A lot of confusing things, but don't let the confusing things uh, cloud the things that are obvious. And so, as I read these four verses, starting in Revelation 5, verse 9, just listen to them and, and think about the things that are, that are obvious here. It says, they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again, and I heard the voice Voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So one of the first things we're going to do in heaven is before all of these things start happening, on earth is we're going to gather around this lamb and it, it sounds a little gruesome especially in this translation but maybe that's why I chose it that was slaughtered and we're going to have a reminder in the future of the same thing that we remembered this morning as we took the bread and we took the juice we're going to have a reminder that God gave a sacrificial lamb Jesus for us and he was slaughtered for us so the things that are important and precious to us this morning as we took communion are going to be important and precious to us then, but we're not going to have a piece of bread and some juice to remind us of that. We're going to have Jesus himself, and we're going to be around him physically and see him physically and be reminded physically by the fact that he's that slaughtered lamb that he's redeemed us to God, and we're going to reign on this earth. I'll take Jesus physically. This is a, a good reminder, and I'm very thankful to be able to take the bread and the juice every week. But I'm looking forward to, with excitement that day, how I get there, I don't know, and I don't really want to think about necessarily. But when we get there, it's going to be around Jesus. We're going to sing some of the same songs we've been singing this morning and that we've been singing all of our lives. It's a good way to start.
and get ready for heaven. Let's just close out in prayer. Jesus, thank you for being God's sacrificial lamb for us. Thank you for the reminder and the bread and the juice that we've had this morning. Thank you for the reminder, even in looking forward, of the great work that you've done and the great works that you will do and the great works that we'll be part of in the future. And I just pray that as we go out from here this morning and we go into the world that we're reminded of what's behind us and we're reminded of what's ahead of us and that we live in the joy and the light of both of those things. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Let's pray.